Glory to God who has given us salvation in his Son, Jesus Christ. Glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Last Sunday, I spoke of the coming season of Lent as a time of re-creation, a time when God enters anew into our lives, reopening the doors of our hearts by surrendering to him our sins and acknowledging our faults and becoming like hard gold in the fire, becoming soft, he is able to mold us and to reshape us, to recreate us in his image and likeness. Yes, indeed, this holy season of Lent that is coming is very much like a time of recreation. And I spoke of Genesis, meaning creation. I spoke of Genesis as a time of God revealing himself to us that we may be in his image rather than trying to create a God in our image. It's very popular in our culture to want a God that we are comfortable with. How many times I've heard, gee, I hope when I die and I I go to heaven, I say there's your first assumption anyway, um, I hope when I die and I go to heaven that, you know, I can eat whatever I want without gaining weight. And I can drink whatever I want and I can, you know, do whatever I want and I hope my puppy is there and I hope this and, you know, and, and so forth and so on. And I think to myself, well, yeah, I'm really hoping that it's going to be a buffet myself, you know. I'm really hoping for that. And yet, all we're really saying is, is that we want heaven in our image. We want heaven to give to us everything that we desire in the flesh. We want to be able to have what we want without consequences, right? That's why, whoa, you get to heaven, you can eat all you want, and you don't get any weight, right? See, we want a heaven with no consequences. In other words, we want heaven to be exactly what we wish for this world to be, where we can live according to our desires without consequences. You know my favorite saying, it's all good. With one stroke of the brush, everything is considered good. And yet this is not the truth. The fact is that we often live apart from right relationship with God. And there are consequences to living apart from the gift of life himself. In the sermon last Sunday, we also saw in Genesis verses 1 through 3 how God begins to reveal the mystery of the holy and life-giving Trinity. God begins to reveal the Trinity to us that we may understand ourselves in light of God and not understand God 
in light of ourselves. Right from the beginning, he attempts to reveal his inner life to us. Well, in today's reading from Genesis, we see a glimpse into the mystery of the second great doctrine of our faith, and that is the doctrine of the Incarnation, that God himself will come into the world as the answer to our sin. When we sinned and turned away from God, there were consequences for our choices. Now, so often we think of God as punishing us. You have certain desires as fallen human beings. I say you can't give in to them. And as soon as you do, (laughs) that's so often as we see God. Well, that's closer to maybe Santa Claus, but, you know, it's really not God. Santa Claus, you know, if you're, if you're good, you get presents, and if you're bad, you get coal, right? That's Santa Claus, but that's not our God. What God is saying is that I am life, and I desire a relationship with you by which I continually, for all eternity, pour out the gift of my life into your heart. And you will become forever more and more and more alive. But I've given you free will, too. While I can't help but love you, while I will never not love you, I will never force you to love me. And should you choose to move away from me, it is not so much a punishment but a consequence that if I'm life and you turn from me, then you are moving towards death. And if I am holiness, and I wish so much to fill you anew every day for all eternity with my holiness, but if you in your free will turn from me and go the other way, then the consequence is sin. And so there are consequences for our choices. Now, we, if I were to say that out in the world, that is not what the world wants to hear. We don't want to hear about consequences. But there's also consequences for God when we choose to sin. The consequence for God was that he had to search after us. He had to come from heaven into his creation to redeem his children from the consequence of their sin, which is suffering and eternal death. And it's out of love, this love that he desired so much to pour forth into us for all eternity, and then we turned from him and began to embrace the, the opposite, to move away from light towards darkness, away from the truth towards the lie, away from God and towards our own desires and self. That same love that he desired so much to pour into our hearts every day for all eternity, that same love caused him to come into this world after us. To come in and say, where do you find yourself? 
Where are you now that you have cut yourself off from me? And that brings us right into the first lesson today from Genesis. This is immediately after man had sinned, had turned in their free will away from God. Because God is life, the consequence is death. Because God is light, the consequence is darkness. Because God is truth, to go the other way is to move towards the lie. Because God is freedom, to move away from God is slavery. So it's immediately after the fall. And it says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now this wasn't a game of hide-and-go-seek. Ready or not, here I come. God knew where Adam literally, physically was. He's God. The question here is much more profound. Now that you've turned from me, where are you? Where do you find yourself? In the midst of fear now. In the midst of shame. With sin wrapped around you. Suffering and death now awaits you. Where do you find yourself? And so the Lord God calls from the beginning. We fall and immediately he's calling out to us. And he does this, I don't know about you, but with me all the time. I'm always turning and heading the wrong direction. I need a spiritual GPS. And he's always calling out to me. Michael. He doesn't call me father. Michael. Archdeacon. No, he doesn't do that either. Always calling out to me, and he is doing that to you. And so from the beginning, when we turned from him, he cried out for us. Just like the father who's awaiting the return of the prodigal son. It says that he sees him from far off. That is, he was looking for him. He was calling for him. And as soon as he sees him, he goes running towards him. The Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And the man said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And you see, because man had sinned, he was now afraid. Fear had taken over him. Raise your hand if you have never experienced fear or been gripped by it or where it had not led you to make uh, perverse decisions or irrational decisions. See, fear comes from our sin. Instead of a relationship with God that's personal and eternally life-giving, we have one now where we're afraid of God. He hears God, and rather than going running towards him, he wants to hide from him. Have you ever want to hide? Uh, I'm trying to think what the proper English is. Did you ever want to hide when you thought uh, God was coming? Or do you want to run to him? Yesterday, I came home after about a week of traveling, got in very late at the airport, and as I walked up to the, the car, 
Rebecca jumped out of the car because she saw me coming. Sarah was asleep, not her fault. Could you not stay awake even for an hour? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Guilt also comes following the fall, by the way. Uh, Becca came running to me, Daddy, and I picked her up and twirled her around. Why? Because she wanted to see me. She wanted to see me. But there are other times where I'm like, Rebecca, where are you? I heard you coming, and so I hid myself. (laughs) (laughs) I may not be, but you are, little girl. I heard the sound of you. I was afraid. You see, sin leads us to fear. Fear is, is, is the ungodly fear. I mean, there's a, there's a healthy fear, right? If you're standing on the edge of a cliff you, you, and you feel fearful that you might fall, that's probably a good thing. You want to take a step back. But there's an ungodly fear that is the result of sin, where we become afraid of our God rather than running to him like a, a, a mom or a dad or someone we love returning home to us desiring so much to see them. I was naked and I hid myself. I hid myself from thee, O God. We spend a great deal of our life hiding from God and from the truth of his word. You know, in some ways we're always like little children. You know when you're really little? You think if you, you go like this, that no one can see you anymore, right? I remember when, when my kids were real little, and, you know, they were in trouble, or they didn't, you know, they, you know we were going to go somewhere they didn't want to go, they would go like this. And then they thought that they were invisible. And you see, this is how we are with our God. We're always like little children looking to, to hide away. You can't see me. And yet he can, just as we can with our children when they cover their eyes. The funny thing is that Christine does that too. I, you know, I heard the sound of you coming. And, you know. Although she doesn't say, but because I was naked and I hid myself. That, uh, that's... I'm sorry, I'm very tired. I got in very late last night. I told you not to record this one, Praveen. And God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? You see, and this is what God is saying. God doesn't give us rules just so we can break them, so he can zap us. He gives us rules because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to be hurt by the gifts that he gives us. You know, the example I've often used, many of you have heard this before, if when Sarah turned 16 years old, if in the driveway is a a brand new, I'm going to say Ford Mustang, so I can borrow it, Ford Mustang, 
as a gift, she's going to think that I'm what? I'm the greatest dad that's ever lived, right? Right? But if she says, Dad, dad this is incredible. What are the rules? I mean, what are we, you know, to use this? No rules. Well, don't I need to get a license? Pfft, license. Don't I have to learn how to drive? No, just experiment. <laughs> What's going to happen to that incredible gift? That gift will be something where she'll probably kill herself and or someone else. And she'll be so hurt by that gift. And then imagine me as a father when I give her that and she, she gets killed. And you see, that's how God is. God gives us wonderful gifts. But he also gives us the context on how to use those gifts. Whether they be the gift of, of sex or the gift of eating or the gift of drinking or the gift of fellowship or whatever the gift is. He sets the context so that we won't get hurt because he loves us. And so he says, did you do what I told you not to do? Because he didn't want us to die. He didn't want us to get hurt. He made it clear. But what's man's response when God gives us his commandments? It's always to blame somebody else, right? That's what I love about sacramental confession is that it's very hard to come into sacramental confession and never blame anyone else because the words say, these are the sins that I have committed. Right? And yet man's response here to, to God is to blame everyone but himself. Have you ever done that, blamed everyone but yourself? Right. Or do you know other people like that? Right. And that's what Adam does. God comes and gets, says, reminds him of the law that he gave for his own protection. And right away, Adam is throwing fingers wherever he can throw them. Right? <laughs> Not my fault. And so, we have, what's his response? The, yes, that's right. The woman, he blames her. Adam, you have sinned. The woman. But he, she's not the only one he blames. Have you ever looked at this very carefully? The woman that you gave me. Follow the trail, Lord. <laughs> it all goes back to you. The woman that you gave me did this. And that is, so when we turn from God, we become afraid of God. We try to hide ourselves from God. We become cloaked in suffering and death. We become wrapped in darkness. Fear begins to overcome us. And then we begin out of shame to blame everyone else, including God, but ourselves for what we have done. So the Lord God turns to the woman and says, what is it? What is this that you have done? I've got to point this out, by the way. Um, I've got to point this out. Eve, we skipped over it. I mean, when we started today's reading, they had already sinned. But Eve doesn't fall quickly, you know. The devil comes to her and he tries to subtly move her away. And at first, 
she tries to battle him by, by quoting God's word to her. I mean, it takes a little bit for Eve to fall. She has to be truly deceived. Adam comes up, is that the apple God told us not to eat? Yeah, eat it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely amazing. I, I mean... So he says to the woman, what have you done? And she too blames another. The serpent beguiled me and I ate. So often, we want to blame others for our own sin. My dear church family, I'm going to do the next part next week, even though it's not the reading. Because time's going by here and there's, there's so much more still to do. But I want you to take away this. God loves you. He's desired from the first moment of your conception a relationship with you that's personal and life-giving. But he will not force you because of his love for you. And so we do have free will. But it's out of love that he cries out to you, calls to you, desires for you. And don't think that God's commandments are simply there to frustrate you or to punish you. They're there, again, because he loves you. See, the pattern is that God is love. He created you because he loves you. He gave you free will because he loves you. When you exercise that free will and sinned, he cried out to you and searched out for you because he loves you. He gave you his commandments not to punish you or set you up or frustrate you to death, but because he loves you. If we follow God's love in the commandments, there would be no Jerry Springer, right? <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, right? Because we'd be living according to his word which he gives out of love. So the more, further we move away, the longer his heart, or the more his heart, longs for us. Longs for us. And so we'll continue this next week as we see the great love of God that's spoken of in this passage, where because of that love, he will enter into the consequences of our sin himself. God himself will come and experience what it is to be alienated from the Father. To know suffering. To taste death. Again, all because of love. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.